we are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going actually to be concluding our series on the book of Acts this morning, but we'll be doing it with a different letter from Paul. I want to share with you a little bit about, about where we're going as we, as we head in, as we conclude today the book of Acts. We've been here This is sermon number 48 on the book of Acts, so for 48 weeks we've been looking at these chapters. And I want to give you a bit of a picture about where we're going, both both figuratively and literally about where we're going from here. Next week, next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and so we're going to spend uh, the next few weeks in the series called Waiting in Hope. We're going to be looking at messianic prophecy, messianic promises that come from the minor prophets. And so we'll be doing that starting next week and working that all the way through Christmas Sunday. We'll be looking at different promises that are made by the minor prophets in the Old Testament about the Messiah that is to come. And so I hope, I hope that you'll be able to join us starting next week as we work through that series in the Old Testament and in the minor prophets. Then, after Christmas... We're going to go back to a series that we had at the very beginning, uh, Richland Exists. We're going to go back to that idea, but we're going to do it. We're going to walk through our existence statement here on the wall. We're going to walk through that existence statement, but we're going to do it in light of this series that we have worked through in Acts of the Apostles. What do these 48 messages, these 48 weeks that we have spent looking at the, at the book of Acts, looking at the early church, trying to understand what they did and how God designed it and what they did right and what they did wrong and all of those lessons that we have learned in those 48 messages, how does that help us as a church, as Richland, how does that help us to know better how to corporately together glorify God? And so we're going to spend a few weeks looking at that. We exist so that we might glorify God together. And what does this series and acts help us to better understand that? So we'll do that for a few weeks. And then, after that, another series that I'm excited about, uh, which will probably start in February or so, is we are going to look, uh, we, we right now have, at least I do, I think you do too probably, we have a picture and a knowledge of Paul and his life and travels right now that we didn't have, I don't think, a year ago probably, and we probably won't have a year from now because we forget things. Or at least I I won't speak for you. I forget things. And so a year from now, I am not going to remember all of the things that we have been teaching and studying and learning about the life of Paul. So we have a unique knowledge right now of of where he was and why he was there and what his travels looked like and those kinds of things. And so we're going to just take a a little chunk of time to look at the letters of Paul, at his epistles. We're not going to spend a long time in them. What we're going to do is just give broad overviews of each of his letters. I'm thinking probably one or two or three weeks per letter at the most. So I'll give you a broad overview. We'll remember... From walking through Acts, we'll remember where he was when he wrote that letter. We'll remember a little bit about what was happening in his life during those travels and and why he would write the letter that he wrote and what it meant and those things. And so uh, I just think it'll be good for us to walk through that a little bit and do some broad overviews of the epistles of Paul. It's really the majority of the New Testament. 
And so we'll walk through those letters from Paul and kind of give an idea. That will take us probably a couple of months, a few months maybe, as we walk through those letters. And then, and then we're going to head into the Old Testament. I'm not sure where yet. We're going we're gonna to walk through a series in the Old Testament, through a book in the Old Testament, or through parts of a book in the Old Testament at least. And so you can pray for me. I, I, have, a, I have really three different ideas that I've been been looking at and researching and preparing, so uh, pray for me as we prepare for that and get ready for that. That's figuratively where we're going to head in these next weeks and months. Let me tell you about somewhere where we literally hope to head. We have been talking as, as elders and have been approached about the possibility of taking a group from Richland to Israel, to the Holy Land. And so we are putting together, with, with the help of a, of a tour group, uh, a trip to the Holy Land in January of 2024. So we have the dates that we've set up for that currently are, are January 23rd through February 1st of 2024. And we hope that a number of you might want to travel together that we can put a group together and head to the Holy Land to to tour some of the places even that we've looked at in the series here in Acts and other places that we read about throughout the scripture. Uh, We we would love for a group of us to go together and to experience those things together and to see those things together in January of 2024. Uh, We will be having a a meeting about that. The the leader of of that tour group or the coordinator of that tour group will come and will share with us this coming January, Sunday, January 8th, on that Sunday after our morning worship service, we'll have a, an informational meeting. And so if you would be interested in just hearing about the information about the meeting and the details of those things, you can put that date on your calendar, Sunday, January 8th, and you'll hear more about this, hopefully, this trip that we'll be taking to Israel together. So that's where we're going both figuratively, where we're headed in these next weeks, as well as where we hope to be headed in a year, plus from now, literally. Today, back here right now, we're going to finish this series in Acts of the Apostles. In Acts chapter 28, a couple of weeks ago, last week was our Thanksgiving service, but two weeks ago, as we shared in Acts chapter 28, you, we, we saw Paul finally, we, we had built up this long trip. Paul had been taking this long trip. He finally got to Rome. When he got to Rome, he had some brothers that traveled the rest of the way in with him. He got to Rome, and, and we maybe expected that there would be this trial, that, that finally he would get his audience with Caesar. He would finally have this, this opportunity to clear his name, and he would be freed from these years that he had been imprisoned. But that's not what happened. When Paul gets to, gets to Rome, he's placed under house arrest. He's, he's, he, he doesn't have, he's not thrown in the dungeon at this point. He's placed in a home that he rents. He probably has one soldier that, that is there with him, maybe even chained to him the whole time that he's there. But he's able to have guests in. He's able to have people in. And early on, right away, he calls in the Jewish leaders that are there in Rome so that he can explain himself, so that he can give his side of the story to them, and so that he can begin to build relationships with those local Jewish leaders. And so he sets up, he, he tells them the story, and they, they say, we want to hear more. 
We want to know more about this sect. We've heard some things about this group of believers, and so we want to hear more about it. And so Paul sets up this time for them to come and hear, and he shares all day, all day into the night. He shares from, probably from the beginning all the way to the end. He shares all of these things. And in Acts chapter 28, Luke tells us that some believed and some did not. Some of them understood, some of them had their eyes open, but some of them did not. And so, even in that moment, when some come to faith and some do not, Paul shares with them from Isaiah chapter 6, showing that God, years ago, said some will believe and some will not. Others never will see or hear or know or understand. And so now the salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And then, after Paul shares that, after he shares from Isaiah chapter 6, Luke ends the book, ends the story. He says, Paul Paul lived there for two years. He welcomed all who came. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about Jesus Christ. And that's the end of the story. Kind of leaves us hanging. It kind of leaves us wondering, what what happened? Why, Why did Luke end it that way? And I shared a couple weeks ago, I think the reason Luke ended it that way, I think the reason Luke ended it that way because the focus was never on Paul. He was the center character here at the end. Peter was the the center character at at the beginning of the book of Acts. But the story was never about Peter, and it was never about Paul. The story was always about Jesus. The story is always about Jesus. Our focus is always to be on him. Our eyes are always to be turned to him. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the center of every story. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. God sent his son so that we might have forgiveness, so that we might have redemption, so that we might have hope. It's all about Jesus. And so Luke leaves us with that picture It's all about Jesus. Paul gathered people together. He welcomed everyone who came, and he told them all about Jesus. But this morning, as we close this series, I want to help you to see the end of the story. I want you to have a a picture, at least, of what we know about Paul. We know a little bit more about Paul, a little bit from some of the letters that he wrote after this time frame in Luke, and a little bit just from from church history of other historians that wrote about him and some pictures that we know uh, from church history. And so I want to share with you a little bit about that. The story of, of Acts, what Luke had written, it ends probably around 61 to 62 AD. For 30 years now, we've been following Paul. Paul came to faith probably in, in 30 to 33, 34 AD. And so now we've been walking through his story for about 30 years. And Paul, right after this time frame in 61 to 62 AD, the, he, does, he does finally get released from prison. And we don't know exactly, there's no, there's no place where it tells us exactly what happened, but we can assume that, that there probably was never even a trial for sure because the accusers, part of the Roman government, would have been, the, 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 the law of Roman criminality would have been that they needed to have, the accusers needed to come and face Paul face to face in front of the emperor. 
And, and it doesn't appear that they ever sent the accusers. I think the, 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 the head Jewish people that were in Jerusalem, they were just glad to be done with him, that they had sent him off. He was, he was far away. He wasn't going to be in Jerusalem. He wasn't going to be raising a ruckus there in, in their neighborhood. And so they were fine that he was gone. And so they didn't follow him through. They didn't follow through with coming. And so, so his accusers never show up. There's also a bit of a precedent. Even while he was in Roman custody back in Judea, the, the officials, two different officials of Roman authority, both said that they didn't see any reason for Paul to be, to be imprisoned or for Paul to be put to death as what the Jews were hoping for. And so there was even a bit of a precedent that, that he did not need to be put to death or he did not need to be imprisoned. And so Paul is released from prison there in Rome sometime in 61, 62, early 60s AD. And as you would expect, Paul immediately begins to travel again, at least according to church history. We can probably assume, and that's what most historians or most commentators, we don't have an exact knowledge of where Paul went. Most commentators would say that he continued on into Spain. If you remember back in the book of Romans when he wrote that letter to the Romans saying, I hope to come to you, he was hoping to come to Rome and then to continue on to Spain, what, what even at that time of, of the world would have been kind of the edge of the known world. And he was hoping to continue all the way on to Spain. And so most scholars agree that he probably did continue on and get to Spain. There's also, in the book of, of Titus, there's, a, there's a, an indication there that maybe he made a trip back east. He talks about leaving Titus on the island of Crete or back in Crete. Um, and so there, there maybe is even the idea that Paul went back to the east and began to maybe travel back through some of the places that he had gone. Again, that's been the history of what Paul has done. He has continued to travel to many of the churches that he, that he initially planted and initially went to. And so it would not be a surprise to us that Paul went back east and began to visit some of those churches. We don't know exactly where he went. Historians give us a little picture, but we don't know for sure. We just know that Paul continued to travel. And then we also know this. Paul was later re-arrested and brought back to Rome somewhere in 64, 65, 66 AD. He had a couple, two or three years there of freedom and traveled, but was brought back to Rome and imprisoned back in Rome. Nero, the emperor of Rome, has, his position has changed early on. Early on, he was very forgiving. He, he was forgiving of Christians, accepting of Christians. Even as Paul would have first arrived, he probably, Nero probably would not have cared much that Paul was there and, and would have been fine, again, releasing him. Uh, he, he wasn't, Nero wasn't very high on signing execution orders early on in his, in his time as emperor. But things begin to change, and they change quickly, and they change rapidly, both in the person of Nero as well as in the attitude towards Christians. In that time frame between 60 and 65 AD is when, when the great fire of Rome comes, when Rome begins to burn, and Nero watches it burn, and then 
And then Nero himself begins to blame Christians for the burning of the city. And so Christians began to be persecuted and, and they were no longer, they, were no, they no longer had an acceptance as a group in the Roman government and they began to be persecuted, major persecution against all the Christians in that area across the whole Roman Empire, but especially in that area. And so Paul, one of the leaders of the Christians, is rearrested and is thrown into prison. The prison that Paul is thrown into is called Mamertine, Mamertine Prison, M-A-M-E-R-T-I-N-E, Mamertine Prison. And I have a couple of pictures just to give you a bit of an idea of what this Mamertine Prison looked like. It was a prison at this time for Paul, but it began as a cistern in the city of, of Rome there. The, the prison itself was, it had two levels to it. You can see the two levels in that, that picture on the left there. Uh, it had two levels. That top level was where the soldiers would have been to watch over the prisoners. And then underneath that top level, there was, there was a hole that, that dropped into what was the cistern. There was no other way to get into this bottom level except this hole that was in the ceiling or, or floor, depending on what level you were on. They would drop a rope in order to bring prisoners in and out of that hole. It was a dungeon. It wasn't a rental home like Paul had had before where he just had one guard with him and people could come and go. Now, this time, Paul's arrested and he's thrown He's thrown in the dungeon. This is, a, this is an interesting, interesting prison because also at some point Peter spent some time here. Peter was also thrown in this dungeon, in this cistern, before he was executed, before he was crucified. Tradition tells us upside down, head on the bottom, feet on the top. Before he was crucified, he was thrown in this dungeon and he shared about Jesus, as all of the apostles did. So much so, tradition tells us, that as Peter shared about Jesus in this dungeon, the guards that were above the hole, that were in the upper level of the prison, began to hear, and they began to to listen to Peter's testimony. They began to hear what he was sharing about Jesus, and they came to faith. And so, because they came to faith, because They began to identify as believers and as Christians. They were stripped of their soldier duties and thrown into the dungeon along with Peter to await their own execution along with Peter. It's at that time that tradition says that the cistern, some some say the cistern, a, 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 a spring opened up in the cistern, so others would say just that the cistern gathered enough water through the holes, whatever the case may be. Enough water was there that Peter actually baptized these two soldiers as they awaited their execution there in the prison. It's that prison, it's that dungeon, it's that. It's that spot that Paul's thrown into. And he's awaiting his execution. Paul's a Roman citizen. So Paul is going to be executed, but because he's a Roman citizen, he gets the honor of decapitation rather than crucifixion. 
And so Paul, in the dungeon, it's wet, it's dark. The only way in and out is through the hole in the roof. It's there that historians and church fathers believe that he wrote his last letter to Timothy and his last letter that we know of that we find in the New Testament. He's waiting to be executed. He's waiting to be decapitated. And so, this morning, I want to say, what, as Paul is in this dungeon, waiting for the honor of being decapitated, what are his last thoughts? We find them, I think, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read it together. It's page 996 if you're in the Pew Bible this morning. The last thing that we know of that Paul writes, he writes to Timothy and he says, I charge you to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Trous, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, all, all, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiris. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia, all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. These are his final words, again, as far as we can tell. His final instructions. His final instructions to Timothy are this. Timothy, 
Preach the word. Preach the word. Let it be the word that rings out through your ministry. Let it be the word. And he even goes on to say, let it be the word because people are, sin, are sinful and selfish. People are sinful and selfish. They're going to twist up the word. They're going to make it to become whatever they want it to be. They have itching ears that they want to tickle. They're going to twist up the truth. And so, stay connected to the word. Those are some of his final instructions to Timothy. Because that's what he's seen in his life. It's to be connected to the word. He loves the word. In fact, that's what he requests to be brought. We'll see that in just a second. That's what he requests to be brought to him there in Rome. He loves the word. And he wants, he wants the word to be the center of what Timothy does. Preach the word, he says. And then, after he gives these last instructions to Timothy, he begins to have this, this look at his end, I think. He says, for I'm already, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Even there, Paul has an eye for Jesus. The picture of, of the drink offering being poured out takes him back to seeing the, the altar at the temple to being reminded of the, of the call that God had given for a sacrifice to be made. I'm sure in Paul's mind he remembers that there no longer, there no longer is a sacrificial system for believers because Jesus, Jesus took the place on the cross, on the altar. Jesus made a way for us. He always has a mind that heads back to the sacrifice. He's always remembering the cross. He's always remembering the altar. And I wonder, and I wonder if he's even thinking that in just a short while, my head, my neck will be on the literal chopping block. My head will be on the altar, per se, and my blood will be poured out like a drink offering. He always has a mind for the altar and for the cross. He says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. The time of my departure has come. The, this, this Greek word departure, it, 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 it's the same word that would be used for the, the mooring lines for a boat that was tied to the dock. You would use that same line, that same, that same idea, that same word as you took those ropes off of the dock and you began to set the, set the boat off into the sea. It's the same word also that you would use when you were pulling up the stakes for your tent, for your home, as you were loosening up those stakes. That's the word. The time for my departure has come. It's time to untether from the dock. It's time to pull the stakes from our home. It's time to move on. The same word, or the same phrase at least, the same idea, would have also had the connotation of, of, of time for an examination. It's time for the final exam. Paul is saying to Timothy, it's time for me 
to be ready. It's time for me to be ready to move on. It's time for me to push off. It's time for me to take the tent down. It's time for my final examination. It's time for me to go. And I'm ready, he says. The time of my departure has come, and I'm ready for this final exam. I'm ready to set sail. I'm ready to pack up. I'm ready to head off. I'm ready to move on. And then he goes on. Time of my departure has come, and I have fought the good fight, finished the race, and have kept the faith. This picture, this picture that Paul says, that Paul takes, he, he gives the analogy of a fighter. I have fought the good fight. I have fought long and hard. I have fought all the way to the end. I have not given up. I have fought the fight. And we know that Paul is a fighter. We've seen it all the way through Acts. We know it from his writings. Paul has been a fighter from the very beginning. He has stood up in every instance of persecution. He has stood with courage. Even before the authorities, the Roman authorities, as we've seen here at the end, he has stood with courage. He has never shied away from the gospel. Paul's been a fighter in the midst of being a part of of riots in virtually every city that he traveled to. We saw that over and over here in the book of Acts, where he's been chased, he's been stoned, he's been beaten, he's been bloodied, he's been whipped. All of those things took place in the book of Acts. He even, he even was ready to fight and battle at the, at the riot in Ephesus, if you remember, where his, his friends, they, they said, you can't go in there. They're, they filled the entire arena. They're chanting. They want to pull you limb from limb. He was ready to go in and battle, even in that moment. Paul fought all the way through even tells us about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's, it's on the screen as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says it this way. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman, he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, and countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less once. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of all of the things that show my weakness. Paul was a fighter. And this list of things that he fought through, this is before He wrote this letter before the journey that we see at the end of the book of Acts, his journey to Rome, the storm, the shipwreck, the snake bite. Paul was a fighter. He certainly knew how to battle physically, but Paul knew that there was more to the battle than just the physical fight that he put up over and over and over. He also knew that there's a spiritual battle 
as well. In fact, he tells it to us. He writes it that way in Ephesians chapter five when he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, he says, because of this battle, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul was a fighter. A physical fighter. Battled through all kinds of things, but he also knew that there was this internal spiritual battle as well. But he doesn't just use the, the fighting analogy. He also says, I've, I've finished the race. Paul was no runner, at least from what church historians tell us. We don't have a profile pic of Paul. No selfies exist of Paul. He didn't have a cell phone with him in 66 AD. But what historians tell us is that Paul was a, a rather short, bald man with crooked legs who was bent like a bow and, and probably limped along based on the idea that he had a thorn in his side. And we know as we walked through the book of Acts, Paul had all manner of physical illnesses and issues as we walked through the book of Acts from all of his journeys. Any disease that he could catch, it seemed like he probably caught it. He was not a runner. He was not a sprinter, nor was he a marathoner but he knew what it was like to run the race. And maybe he couldn't physically run the race to the end, but spiritually, he knew what that meant. He knew what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12. Maybe even Paul himself wrote in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight Every sin is so, which clings to us closely, let us run with endurance the race that was set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's the race that Paul talks about. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And now, he's kept the faith and is waiting for the crown. The winner, the winner of those athletic endeavors in Paul's time, they weren't granted the trophy that we see now. It wasn't a plaque with his name on it. It wasn't even a gold medal. The winner of those races, of those fights, was given a crown, a wreath, a laurel that would sit on his head, proclaiming him to be the champion. That's, that's what Paul is referencing. I finished it. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now he says, now he says, I'm waiting waiting for the crown. The crown that not just waits for me, 
Paul says, but for all of us. All of us who have rested in the finished work of Jesus. There's a crown for us. The irony here is that as Paul writes these things in that dungeon with the small hole in the ceiling, in that moment, the crown of the time, Nero, the crown of the time is waiting for Paul's head to be found at the foot of the chopping block, at the foot of the altar, as we said earlier. But Paul writes to Timothy, and Paul knows that the one who gave his life to finish the work of the altar will be waiting for Paul's head to be awarded with a crown. Paul knew he'd fought the good fight, he'd finished the race, he'd kept the faith, and he was waiting for the crown. Paul finishes this letter in 2 Timothy with some instructions, some instructions for Timothy to give to some of the other people. You can see him there in, in starting in verse nine. He, he, he has some instructions, instructions about his friends. Some names that we've seen over and over in, in the book of Acts, Luke and Mark. Mark, the one that Paul said he wouldn't travel with. You remember Paul and Barnabas, they had the battle. They wanted Mark to go, but Mark had already abandoned him one time. Now he says Mark is useful for ministry. Mark has come around. Luke and Mark and Tychius and Priscilla and Aquila, Trophimus, all names that we've seen earlier in the book of Acts. He gives some instructions to Timothy about his friends. He also gives an instruction to bring his cloak and to bring his books. At the very end, as Paul's in that dungeon, he wants the company of good friends, the hope-filled company of good friends. He wants the warmth of a warm coat, and he wants the comfort of the promises of the word. That's what Paul looks for at the very end. The worship team is gonna come this morning and I want us just to look at these last, this last word from chapter four, verse 18. What are his final words? What's the last thing that Paul sends out that we know of? He says some of his last words are these as he's in the dungeon. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Paul says, I'm going to be rescued from every evil deed, including this. And I will be brought safely into his heavenly kingdom. We don't know for sure how long Paul was there in that dungeon. We don't know for sure how long after he wrote this letter until the end. What we know, though, whether it was days or weeks or months, 
What we know is that not long after this letter, after Paul wrote those words, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Not long after Paul said those words, we're pretty confident he heard these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's stand and sing together. Though the dark is overwhelming and the brightest lights grow dim, though the word of God is trampled on by foolish men, though the wicked never stumble and abound in every place, we will all be humbled when we see And the demons we've been fighting, those without and those within, will be underneath our feet to never rise again. All our sins will be behind us through the blood of Christ erased, and we'll taste your kindness when we see. Oh
will be yours forevermore. And you'll gather us together. And you'll gather us together in your arms of endless grace as your bride forever when we see Let our benediction today be the very last words that we know that came from Paul. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Thanks for coming.